On the Empire Podcast this week, we have a double whammy of directors as Alice to the Looking Glasses, James Bobin, and Money Monsters, Jodie Foster, pop in to tell us things about their movies in cinemas now. Plus, there's usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast. I saw a picture of Mark Hamill this week with his dog and really, really hopes that dog is called Bark Hamill. In the same way that like Carrie Fisher's dog is called Gary Fisher. Luke Dogwalker. Luke Dogwalker. That would be amazing. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome. <laughs> that would be amazing. Thanks. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our art house guru, a man who's just returned from a weekend in Bruges. He wasn't there on holiday. He was there on a Dardenne Brothers pilgrimage. Sadly, they were in Cannes. They were in Cannes. Yeah, it took you uh, two days and one night to get there, didn't it, Phil? Yes, it did. Because it's Phil Desemlian. I forgot to mention that. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, Hi. I should, should do That's that. correct. On a bike that I stole from a kid. <laughs> <laughs> there were no Dardens. There must be some Dardens in Belgium, even when two of them are in Bruges. There think. must be the Dardenne cousins. Two of them in Cannes, right? rather. The yeah. Dardenne second cousins. Yeah, who were like really into Lesser. like art, uh, really into explosions and Michael Bay movies and just, you know, the, the, the black sheep of the family. <laughs> exactly. Ostracised. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind kids with bikes. I want kids with motorbikes shooting people with swords. Why do you, how can you shoot someone with swords? I don't know. <laughs> but in the world of the Dardenne cousins, anything is possible. Also, this week, joining us on the show is our Soundtracks Supremo, a lady who never forgets to be sharp. Yeah. It's Emma Thrower. Yeah, just like Sean Bean. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How are you? Good, yeah, sharp, not flat. Yep. Good, good, good. Uh, Excellent. That's good to know. Uh, have you been on a pilgrimage to see any composers? I went to see Tim Minchin. Um, he's not. I mean, he is a composer. He is he's a composer, yeah. Um, and Helen was there, actually. Uh, what? And Ollie Richards. Well, instead of Tim Minchin, it was <laughs> Helen. Was this... Yeah, did you just go to Helen's house by mistake? Yeah, we did. It's a, it's a common mistake to get those two confused. <laughs> yeah. No, that was good. Very fun. Got to hear some stuff from his new Groundhog Day musical, actually. So, film-related there. Oh, hang on a second. This may tie into this week's question. It might. This We're may... jumping the gun here. Yeah. It's now called a sword. We're jumping uh, yes, the sword. We're jumping the sword. <laughs> it's dangerous. Very dangerous. But that's sort of where you might shoot someone with it. Uh, yeah, so our question, we're going to get on to in a second, is about time travel. But next up, we're joined by our soundtrack supremo, a lady who never forgets to be sharp. It's Emma Thrower. How are you? Still Sean Bean. <laughs> <laughs> See what we did there. This is See amazing. It was a paradox. <laughs> I'm really stuck in... Wow. I'm Phil confused. was genuinely confused by that for a second. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> You're reading Emma's intro? Is, or? is Chris having an episode? Um, yeah, I'm always Wow. All right. Do you know okay. I saw Tim Minchin, Phil? I don't even know what we've... Tim Minchin. I don't know what we've said. Honestly, I forgot we talked about that. So okay, I'll, edit, I'll try and edit this. Have we ever okay. discovered what it is he minches? Tim's. Tim, Tim minches know. Tim's. Tim Tams. All right, Tim, Tim Tams. Tams. Our whole first name yeah. is Tim. His middle name is Tam. Tim Tam Minchin. He's got a Groundhog Day musical. Yes, yes. That's going to be I amazing. feel like I'm plugging it here at yeah. the Old Vic coming up. Ticket yes. prices starting at... Do you know what? I think it's £21, but I'm not sure. Less than Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Definitely. Yes. Who's in it? Musical theatre people who musical theatre people might like. But no no, no big names. No um, big names. at the moment. Okay. But the music sounds great, guys. So, you know, cool. pop along. And he's got a Groundhog Day musical. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the Old Vic. Who's in it? Um, nobody. 
<laughs> Should we carry on? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> I think this is going to be. A, I am reaching for the kettle podcast. in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh. Uh, so this week's question does come from uh, Twitter. It is from Eddie Hamilton, as it happens, who is the editor of Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation, Kingsman: The Secret Service, uh, Kick Ass, yeah. all those great action sequences that you love, and um, this week's podcast. Hopefully. And this week's <laughs> podcast. Yeah, come on, Eddie, help us help make some sense of the chaos that has just unfolded. <laughs> question for the Empire Podcast team. Best slash most inventive slash most credible use of time travel in a movie. Hmm. That's those are different. Well, <laughs> it's a, I it's mean, a, most credible is difficult because church. It, Nobody's it, done it. No, no one's done time travel apart from what we just did. Obviously, yeah. we're probably pioneers yeah. in the field. Most inventive is interesting. I would say, like how how it's how. Have you ever seen Primer? The no, Shane Carruth film. I'm going to be completely honest here because I know that Primer is a, is a mind melter. It's, and it's, so a ba- it's a baker, yeah. So is uh, Nacho Figalondo's Time Crimes, which is a film I haven't seen either. So I need to get round. I need, I need to watch those, like yesterday. Stupidly complicated. Another time travel joke. It was no, I know. Yeah, okay, it's good. I missed that as well. <laughs> <laughs> should, we, should we go back in time? Don't do the Tim Minchin thing again. No? I'm wise to that now. Okay. All right. And he's got a Groundhog Day musical. Oh! There we go. Uh, go on, Phil. Go on. Hit us uh, with it. What? The, the answer to the question that Eddie sent in. Well, I think Primer... I listen, I watch Primer, and I genuinely don't understand any of it, but it is incredibly, incredibly dense with really hard sci-fi, if you're into that kind of thing. There's different... You know, time travels crops up in films in different ways, obviously. You know, we're going to talk about it probably later when we're talking about Through the Looking Glass, because yeah. it's a big key plot device in that and yeah. weirdly Primer is similar but in Primer you have the same people occupying the same timeline mm-hmm. which is traditionally a cue for the the apocalypse some form of temporal apocalypse mm-hmm. it, it is in Through the Looking Glass for instance if those two people should see each other the fabric of time collapses yes. Primer toys with those sorts of ideas Shane Crew's been in this podcast he's too clever for me <laughs> I really don't know Half the things he's got in this film, but and it is, it is, something. but really, really low budget, super low budget with his yeah. mates. I like time travel when it when it feels like there's a sort of physical cost to it. You know, it actually, mm. it's quite a painful process. Yeah. Looper's like good. Looper, just Looper's good that, like yeah. that too. That's painful. Yeah, in the beginning of Terminator, you know, he's sort of in an embryonic. So you mean kid. you mean a bit in Looper where someone will have an injury done to them in the. Uh, yes. future and it, it manifests itself in the past or is a vice versa yes. it's yeah. really dark yeah. it's quite sort of body horror-ish and also yeah. like you know I mean <laughs> I always say no spoilers but everyone everyone's yeah, spoilers, spoilers from this point in spoilers 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 but also the fact that he knows that you know if he doesn't meet his future wife that's a painful decision there's I think everything in Looper feels so real yes. um, that's you know the stakes in it that's why that film succeeds so much. The idea that Terminator Genesis does not get an honourable mention in this, but the not? idea that you can't take anything with you is quite interesting in the time traveller's wife in the book. Uh-huh. The film's pretty bad, mm-hmm. but in the book, the idea that he he literally has no shoes on when he arrives somewhere and he's often on the run immediately and he pays, you know, his feet get, thra- get trashed. Yeah. It's a bit weird when he turns up naked in the garden of the girl who's going to become the woman that he's in love with that is something that is a sort of visual challenge I don't think cinema quite rose to <laughs> okay. as it were but, but the whole thing is you know it, 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 that's a, a little bit Terminator-esque I mean the, yeah. the the fact that Kyle Reese is essentially cinema's greatest stalker yeah is something that's overlooked True. quite often I mean you know this is a man who like Dracula in Bram Stoker's Dracula he crossed he crossed oceans of time to be with Sarah Connor it's a bit creepy though literally he fell in love with her through a photograph I mean yeah. I know that you know probably that's a good point if you take the whole Terminator out of that film yeah. it is a horror film about a stalker <laughs> 
Do you know what? You're not wrong. <laughs> Who kidnaps the object of his affections. Yeah. And then Stockholm Syndrome is going to fall in love with him. Oh, my goodness. And having his child. I mean, in a one and done situation, you know, they're going to have no we, problems repopulating the earth in the, in the future if make, all men are as fertile as Kyle Reese. Can we make a super cut of this? I need to just re There's got to be it. one out there, hasn't there? We just cut out the Terminator. No Terminator. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's a whole different film. Isn't it? And it yet is. this man is our hero. It's 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 weird. It's weird. Now, as the art house guru, it behooves me to bring up <laughs> Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Yeah, it's the right yes. answer. Come on, that's and back to the future, those are right answers. Clearly. Well, well, All which, which we one? are is dust in the wind, dude. <laughs> Because growing up with that film, I was always very disappointed when we didn't have the opportunity to go and do a big sort of showcase or project in the big school hall. You don't have those kind of things in the UK in the same way you do in America. Mm -hmm. History was never the same. History was always a source of constant disappointment throughout (laughs) school. My teachers were great, amazing, but I couldn't get Beethoven. (laughs) It's top of my bucket list still. I I mean, I'm not going to rest until I've got Beethoven on the stage at Bishop Luffer Church of England Comprehensive School. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, hate to break it to him. It ain't ever going to happen. Okay, not going to happen. <laughs> Sorry. Have um, you guys seen Predestination uh, with Ethan Hawke? Yes, I'm going to see it last week. Okay, amazing. I'm seeing it three weeks on Thursday. Yesterday, which was yesterday. No, that's today. Where you guys? Know what's going on? <laughs> no, I have been somewhere twenty minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I haven't seen Predestination. I haven't seen well, Primer. I haven't seen Time Crimes. I am a disgrace. I'm a failure to time travel movies. Butterfly Effect. Uh, I haven't uh, seen that, I, yes, I have seen Butterfly Effect. When you see Predestination last week, mm-hmm. never. Firstly, you know, I just want to thank that film for introducing me to Sarah Snook. She's amazing. But um, that's another one. I feel like the film's not the most inventive towards the end. I wanted to love it a little bit more, but that's another film where I'm like the stakes in this. I don't want to spoil this one at all because this is very new. But I'd really recommend people going to have a look at that. It's a bit of a mind melter. You might see where it's going, but yeah. just the transformation of certain characters in that film is really unexpected, and I think that's a novel kind of take on that. I've heard that's, um, that's a good one. Mm. Yeah. I have an issue with the phone box as a, as a sort of device for time travel, because <laughs> if you've been in a phone box recently, you know that's not something you'd want to be stuck with as you navigate what? the twists of wormholes and time loops. Yeah, mm. but unless it's the TARDIS. It smells of pee, and it's covered in, like, booby escort cards. It'd be weird. <laughs> a weird and creepy environment. The TARDIS would be better. Would be. Mm. One more... Okay. I have to mention La, yeah. Jet- La Jetée of course Chris Marker's short film um, it's on the internet I think so you can see it. it's only 27 minutes mm-hmm. um, and uh, it obviously was the inspiration for Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys yeah. Terry Gilliam also did Time Bandits which we have to mention because Dan will be angry if we don't mm-hmm. sorry Dan um, mm-hmm. and lastly somebody did an homage to La Jetée uh, called La Poppe uh, starring dogs. Maybe it really, <laughs> was it you? I'm going to tweet it. It's, it's online as well, and I'm going to tweet the YouTube link to that. It's it wasn't me. It's amazing. It's it's got a dog puppet, and the whole film is basically because it's shot in stills it, rather than you know moving images. Um, hmm. It's a, it's a mood piece, and if you throw the it's a post-apocalyptic mood piece. If you throw the incongruous cute puppy into it, yeah. it becomes something awesome. Oh, can we replace the Terminator with a cute puppy? Le puppet, le, what would that be called? Le Puppinator. I don't know. Le Puppinator. Yes. I was going to say that, and I was like, that's really first base. I'm going to have to try and think of I am very first base, I'm afraid. I'll be bark. Yeah. Oh, there oh, we go. I'll be bark. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Can yeah. I just put one? Can I just do one yeah, more as well? I'm going to spoil this film as well. Spoilers. Um, Safety Not Guaranteed from a few years ago. This uh-huh. is a bit different because. It deals with time travel the whole way through, mm-hmm. but you don't really see the effects of it. But I just love the ending of that film because, well, A, I love Mark Duplass, 
with a you know fiery passion but um also because you kind of think he's a crackpot the whole way through and it's just such a nice ending when you realize that actually the time travels worked that's nice mm. that's nice I like that. Oh, it's nice. Yeah. Oh, go on. It's nice. Colin Trevorrow's debut. Of course, if you want to hear... Superb. Uh, he was on the podcast talking about it years ago. We had a good old chat about time travel and all sorts of stuff. So uh, if you are one of those people uh, who digs out old episodes and goes back and re-listens, armed with hindsight, have uh, a listen. it's available. Yeah. yeah. And if you're one of those people that wants to watch a Colin Trevorrow film that doesn't star my brother, say Safety Not Guaranteed <laughs> would be highly recommended. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm, I, I don't know. Best time travel in a movie... Mm. I'm, I had to be, you know, and obviously my credentials as a time travel movie fan are in some question, having not seen Primer Time Crimes or uh, Predestination. I will get around to seeing those because I, I do love time travel movies. I love the paradoxes of yeah. time travel movies. I love the fact that, you know, people have to contort themselves into knots, try and make the plot make some sort of sense. Uh, that always is fun. But yeah, it has to be Back to the Future because yeah. you, you travel back. You know, that, that movie is extraordinary. And I'm one of the few people who absolutely adores Back to the Future too as well. I think uh, I think that movie is really, really clever and crazy and dark and takes risks with uh, sequels. It does what sequels should not do. Also one of the reasons I love Ocean's 12, but that's another <laughs> conversation for another day. And it's just, it's so, so good. And I actually think it has the most credible use of time travel in a movie as well. Not in terms of the time travel device itself, which is a DeLorean. Obviously, we all know that. That's a bit of, uh, it was going to be a fridge, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, and then the studio had concerns about kids crawling into fridges <laughs> in order to try and replicate the time travel thing and then and that would have been horrible. But the incredible use of time travel in the movie is, of course, the decision to use future knowledge to make yourself incredibly rich in the past, uh, which is something that crops up again and again and again in time travel movies. And I think, sadly, of course, it turned out to be Donald Trump in Back to the Future, uh, Biff Tannen in Back to the Future, <laughs> who, who became incredibly rich. But Marty's got... Yeah, I would do that. If I were in the future, if I would travel forward in the future, I would definitely. It's tragic, but I think we all would. We'd all do something, yeah. wouldn't we? And you know me, I'm a spoiler junkie anyway, so I couldn't resist a book like that. Going, Liverpool did what? They, they got relegated when? And uh, yeah. So in the gonna... conference when? Yes. <laughs> At least I could then benefit from my team's uh, really, really slow and painful demise. So you're saying that somebody actually they were going to nuke the fridge in the first batch of the future that's right yeah. I think someone should try that in a movie sometime that sounds like quite a good idea you mean mm. hang on you think there should be a film in which someone climbs inside a refrigerator yeah. to avoid a nuclear blast right. yeah that would never Most. happen no that's silly isn't it <laughs> that's, a, it. that's a crazy development uh, to happen in any yeah. movie uh, and I'm sure it, it feels to me like something that would be the opening of a fourth installment of a film yeah. franchise where you haven't yeah, really right. you've through. run out of ideas and you're uh, what do we do do we get our hero or intrepid hero who's maybe some sort of explorer adventure type guy and he stumbles upon this thing and he gets in the fridge and it, it doesn't feel like something that would actually sh- actually happen I'm convincing Russians chasing yeah, I don't, yeah, nah, yeah it's, it's not like it's a, it's a nice idea right. Right, Phil no. nice idea Shout out quickly to, as well to 12 Monkeys, as you mentioned, the, the Chate, which has for me the most moving use of time travel in the film. And it's that one scene, it's really, really simple scene, it's where Bruce Willis is in the back of a cab and he and the uh, Blueberry Hill by Fats Domino comes on the radio and he just tears up, he starts yeah. crying. And I absolutely adore that. And uh, again, you touched on it a little bit. The most inventive use of time travel in a movie, I think it's when people, two characters somehow become face to face. I love stuff like that. And obviously, Time Cop makes. It was only a matter of time. It was only a matter of Time Cop before I mentioned Time Cop. Time Cop makes a great use of that with the idea that if you touch, if you if you meet your future or younger self and you touch yourself, Time Cop is really a a warning against the dangers of masturbation. Uh, this is this is only now becoming clear to me. 
if you touch yourself, you die. Mm. And that's exactly what happens to Ron Silver at the end of, of Time Cop. That's what they teach so, you in school. That. Yeah, yeah. That's what you took away from Time Cop. <laughs> no, it's what I take away from Time Cop now. I've got so much oh, lost right. time to make up for. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really... So yeah, anyway. And Helen then, going, no. Helen going, no, <laughs> no. no. It's all good. It's all good. And I also love the bit in Days of Future Past where a young... Charles Xavier meets old Charles Xavier on the astral plane using some sort of time yeah. travel mind melting malarkey that's never really entirely explained mm. but no, no. it makes for a great very very trippy scene that's a lovely moment though. and that actually is the second film I think to take time travel and use it as a way of rebooting retconning and wiping clean the slate <laughs> for a franchise because Star Trek does it with J.J. Uh, Abrams Star Trek does it yeah. with that incredibly convenient wormhole that allows <laughs> Spock to travel backwards into the past and uh, thus affect the timeline and of course it happens in Days of Future Past where they yeah. use time travel as a way of, of going X-Men 3 never happened well it might have happened anyway Jean Grey's alive so it's all good everyone's happy okay and scene so there we go that is that is uh, Eddie's question dealt with I'm sure to Eddie's satisfaction I mean uh, do let us know I mean yeah I'm sure I'm sure it was I don't see anyone who <laughs> couldn't be satisfied with that uh, we discovered finally the message of Time Cop and I think it's a message that we should all take to our hearts if you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast we can read them via Twitter where we're at Empire Magazine use the hashtag Empire Podcast as Eddie Hamilton did you can email us podcast at empireonline.com or we're also on Facebook as you know Okay, so he has a Groundhog Day musical. Yeah, he does. Who's in it? Uh, well, kind of people that musical theatre people know. I want to shout out to Roger Dipper. I, I want to shout out to Roger Dipper. What a name. <laughs> That's a great name. He's, he's brilliant. Tell me his nickname is The Big. Uh, what? Uh, the Big? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I'll ask his boyfriend. Oh, well, well, well. Hello. Oh, my word. He's got a bit saucy. <laughs> Dear Lord. Anyway. Um, all right. Okay, time now for our first guest this week. Uh, he is a British director who's been there, done that in comedy terms. He was there at the birth of Ali G and Borat. He was there at the birth of The Flight of the Concords on HBO. Uh, he was there when the Muppets were reborn. And now he's overseeing the return of Alice to Wonderland in Alice Through the Looking Glass. He is, of course, James Bobin, and he was talking to me about a great many things, including his next movie, which is MIB 23, working title, the crossover of the Men in Black and Jump Street franchises. It's all very interesting. Enjoy. Uh, we're delighted to be joined in the Empire Podcast by James Bobin, the director of Alice Through the Looking Glass. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad, not too bad. Yeah. I think first things first before we talk about the film, uh, do you have your Fight of the Concords concert tour tickets yet? <laughs> not yet, but I hope they're forthcoming. Um, I, I'm going to be quite busy in the summer, but I'm looking forward to seeing those guys again and hopefully they've written some new songs. Hopefully they have. That would be quite fun. Uh, I think they have, actually. I think they actually have, which is very exciting. All right. Do you keep in touch with them? From Yeah, well, because I, I live in Los Angeles, and it's kind of the halfway point between London and Wellington, and they spend a lot of time in all those three cities. So um, mm. we hang out fairly regularly, which is very nice. And they spend time there. They have, they have things going on. Obviously, Jermaine's does a lot of acting, and he's in the BFG this, this year, and Brett is still doing a lot of writing, both of music and scripts and stuff. So uh. I see them pretty regularly. When you see them next... Can you please tell them to come over here and bring the tour over here? <laughs> I wouldn't be at all surprised. They, they love coming <laughs> and playing here. Because obviously, in many ways, we kind of started here. When I first yeah. met them was at the Edinburgh Festival. So, And that's the, sort of their spiritual home in many ways. So I feel that they will undoubtedly come back for that at some point. It's amazing, actually. It feels, in a way, uh, this movie for you is coming full circle, working with Sasha Baron Cohen <laughs> again. And yeah. 
I, I just yeah, do you look at yourself as some sort of Selig figure in terms of <laughs> in terms of comedy? Uh, I mean, having worked with the, the Concords for so long and yeah, uh, Sasha. I don't know. No, well, Sasha and I. It's funny because obviously he lives in LA too, so we stay in touch regularly, and our kids are around the same age, so we have a lot of family time together these days, <laughs> which is great. And you know, it's very odd to imagine Sasha Brown Kenny family time. But he really does. He's very good at it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it doesn't feel like I've sort of not seen him for a while. So I know it's not like this great reunion. It's just we haven't really worked together for a while, and yeah. so. But, you know, we worked together for a long time. Managie and Borat and Bruno took us like 10 years of our lives. And so we spent a lot of time in vans hiding from people <laughs> <laughs> together. And, we did, and you know, the show took a long time to make. The shooting ratio was absurd yeah. because you'd shoot so much and so much of it would be difficult or unusual, unusable because of certain reasons or just, you know, something just wouldn't work out. Mm. Um, and so we actually shot so much stuff. For the HBO show, it took us about a year to make six episodes, which they couldn't understand. And they were saying, how could it possibly take a year to take six half hours? Wow. Um, but it was really, it was, a fun, it was a fun time. It was a very unusual job because it rather felt like being a spy. You couldn't really <laughs> tell people what you did because the whole point of Allergy and Borat and Bruno is that if, if people knew who you were, the thing didn't work. And so that was what led to our inevitable move to the US because over yes. here we basically ran out of people to do. Yes. So you, you were there and you've been there at the, uh, at the birth of, of quite a few Sasha Baron Cohen creations. Yes, well, certainly Ali G. I remember very clearly when I was much, much younger, last century, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally true. Yeah, um, it's depressing. I was in an office on Newman Street, I think, in London, and we were uh, putting together the, the first ever sort of pilot for the 11 o'clock show. Mm. And I was what's called part of the VT department back in those days, which was basically guys who go and shoot stuff on location. And it was really my first kind of job directing and writing, and we got a pile of submissions on VHS back in those days. Um, and one of them was this guy dressed in a sort of basketball outfit talking to a professor from the LSE about the economy, but in the terms of an analogy of, a DJ, of DJ culture. <laughs> and I thought that was a brilliant idea because whatever this guy does, whether he, if he doesn't like him, it's funny. If he does like him, it's funny. So it's going to, either way, it's going to be funny. And so we called him in and that, of course, turned out to be Sasha in the first incarnation of Ali G. I think his first, on the tape it said Youth Wanker. That was his name. <laughs> that was the character. It was like a parody of a youth presenter, I think, at the time, but it just grew and grew and grew and became a much more interesting character, I think, ultimately. He's, he's amazing in this film. As... Thank you. No, I think he's wonderful. I mean, yeah. I'm so thrilled for him and you know, for the film because he's so good at it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, can, you, can you talk about uh, being there? For the, the the birth of time, the, the dawn of time, so to speak. <laughs> well, again, we obviously made characters, created characters before, so we have a language and a shared sort of trust. We work, you know, with with Borat. We used to go to the lengths of doing things like we buy Kazakh papers and have, you know, we put gum in the paper and leave it behind in the bin after we've left the interview. And so people, if they happen to go for their bins, would find a paper from Kazakhstan in their bin. And so that's a level of detail Jeez. to us is very important. So yeah. when you talk about time, time was a character which came up because it's really Lewis Carroll's idea. When you read Alice in Wonderland, Hatter meets Alice for the first time when he's stuck at the tea party. And he says to her, um, I've been stuck at this tea party since last March when time and I quarreled. And so to the Hatter, time is a person. And to Lewis Carroll, time is a person. So I thought for this story, which is essentially about time travel, it would be very useful if you had to ask someone permission to travel through time and that person being time himself. Uh And it felt a very... Carolian, if that's a word, uh, it is idea. <laughs> it should be, if not. Yeah. <laughs> um, idea that time is a person and time would be a character in this film. And so, therefore, you start thinking, well, we have, obviously, the Red Queen's a rather marvellous villain in this world. Mm-hmm. You don't really want to have two villains. It gets a bit confusing having two villains. And you can, but, you know, it's best not to. Um, and so, I thought it'd be useful to have a kind of comedy antagonist. And, therefore, my mind leapt immediately to Sasha because I worked with him before. And I knew he'd have 
the range to pull it off because it's pretty big performance required to fill the you know to fit into this world uh-huh. where you have Johnny and Helena and Anne and everyone else doing their fantastic work that Sasha would we have to match that you know and he really did a fantastic job and I'm really pleased how he he fits into the palette so neatly with his kind of ridiculous silhouette of enormous <laughs> shoulder pads and gigantic bishop's hat it's um, really rather fun how was he described in the script? Did you uh, was it basically a, a Sasha Baron Cohen esque figure? No, no, he was literally a large part man, part machine. Uh, that's pretty much what he was at the beginning of the script. That's what it was. I, li- I liked him being tall. It felt amusing that he would have some relationship with the Red Queen, and she's obviously quite small, like large head. And I like the idea that he was very tall. And Sasha in the film was like six foot six or something ridiculous. Yeah. But. Did it say he sounds like Werner Herzog, or was that <laughs> Herzogian? Maybe I don't know. Um, he has a he has a Mid Atlantic German accent. I, I, I like to say, which is very precise in its tone and nature, and could possibly pass a bearing have a passing resemblance to a famous German documentary filmmaker. Possibly, <laughs> possibly, possibly, allegedly. Yes, but you don't need to ask his permission to do the voice. It's all it's all good. It's yeah. It's, I think he. I think they're friends. Actually, I hopefully mm-hmm. he thinks it's amusing. <laughs> I imagine he does. Um, it's it's always just you can't second guess Werner Herzog he's a no. man who will suddenly pop up in a Jack Reacher movie and yes. uh, you know keep you uh, keep you on, on your toes yeah, isn't he, wasn't he the bad guy in some film recently uh, yeah the Jack Reacher film oh that was what he was in okay yeah. there you he go was the, uh, he was the bad guy oh so that's a great idea was he also in The Simpsons once as a bad guy or something he, he, was he himself I think in The Simpsons Maybe. I can't quite remember but the yeah. other thing about anything, anything he reads out sounds incredibly serious that's a very useful <laughs> thing like read out some ridiculous <laughs> thing with Werner Herzog voice sounds very serious it's very funny it's, it's so bizarre the only time in my life I've ever interviewed Werner Herzog was for Jack Reacher oh wow uh, so but then that you have was... so many questions about anything but Jack Reacher. Precisely. Because <laughs> you could ask him anything about it. He has such an incredible film- filmography. Like, it's yeah. incredible. So you don't want to talk about that. You want to talk about the chickens in the coop <laughs> at the end of like. <laughs> well, because, because uh, Empire is Empire, because uh, I, I, me, I guess, uh, I ended up doing our pint of milk quiz with uh, Fernando Herzog. Which, oh, yes. So I asked him things like, you know, how much is a pint of milk and how, what's the biggest he lives dog in America, he's ever seen? Unfair. It's like asking me I that know. question. I don't know. Yeah, how, much, how much is a pint of milk? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't live anymore. <laughs> a pound? Six pounds? Hundred pounds. I don't know. Hundred pounds. Where are you shopping for your milk, James? Yeah, wrong place. (laughs) In the corner from here, Mayfair. (laughs) So obviously, the the last two movies uh, you worked on were uh, were the Muppets and Muppets Most Wanted, and which are very, very. Yeah, obviously puppet based and tactile, and not at all the yes. uh, the the CG uh, yeah escape that, that Tim Burton had crafted in mm-hmm. the first movie. Uh, did that, and this movie is very tactile, and I think you put real emphasis on having uh, actors in scenes with each other mm-hmm. on real sets, yep. and you have that very very tactile mm-hmm. sense of of how the world works. But at the same time, there is a lot of CG here. Yes. And I imagine there were times you had people uh, by themselves on green screen. Yeah. And, and, and it's a, honestly, it was one of the appeals of doing this film was that it was so different. I mean, Muppets, as you say, was inherently an anti-CG movie. Mm. I very chose, I consciously chose not to use CG unless I absolutely had to in Muppets. And largely it was for like replacing rods and stuff. We never actually had a full body CG double anywhere uh, because I love puppetry and that's what it's about. And so in a way, this was a, a reaction for me as a director. It's obviously always interesting to explore other areas and CG, this is a, as big a CG as you can go. But at the same time, you're right. I also do like emotion and I think emotion is well served by interaction. And so I did encourage scenes to be shot in locations which we built as sets. So we built a lot of sets at Shepherd Shepperton and we had a lot of scenes where actors were together on the set acting together. Yes. And you do get stuff from that you don't get from just blue screen singles. Was that in a way um, a reaction as well to 
the first film, which which was enormously successful, but mm-hmm. uh, it does have its fair share of critics. I think it's it's probably fair to say. Right. Um, who who did you know, a, a lot of that criticism was based on the CG. Uh, was that in a in a way were you trying to react to that, or is there anything? Not that- really. No, this is something I felt I wanted to do anyway as part of my methodology. You know, I yeah. just felt that's how I've always worked with actors in in rooms, and <laughs> that seems to have worked in the past. <laughs> yeah. So I should do the same here. But no, it was more of a conscious choice for me that in my work previously that I always like to bring emotion to this fore because I think that when you care about a character you're going to laugh with them a lot more and I think that's very important for comedy particularly in filmmaking and so for Muppets for example they are a, a, a gang of madcap lunatics but at the same time they have very strong feelings and you feel for them and I particularly you know in the first Muppets the Muppets the first one I was really keen to emphasize the emotional impact they had on my life and then reflect that in the movie less so on the second one the second one was a conscious choice probably not to do so much of that yeah. the second one was much more about making a caper movie again because that was fun yeah. but the first one we were very conscious of the fact that they are an emotional group of friends and and in Alice I really wanted to have a similar feel that you know Alice and Hatcher have a great bond which is very important for the story of this film whereby the stakes of the film are his survival so you know you want to emphasise that bond from the very outset uh, you have been attached very recently to a film <laughs> you probably can't say anything about but uh, I'm going to give it a go anyway sure uh, MIB 23 or yes. whatever it ends up being called yes um, working title <laughs> <laughs> Which is also nice, not a bad working title. No, it's uh, pretty good. Yeah, it's already, it's already a good poster. I can see that in my head straight away. Yeah, go on. <laughs> I think uh, Tim Bevan and Eric Fellner might have a problem, but uh, <laughs> apart from that, it'd be okay. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, well, what was the attraction of that project? Which I think when everyone first heard about it in the infamous way that everyone heard about it, everyone went, that's a crazy, crazy idea. But as Jonah Hill said in those emails, it's also clean and rad and powerful. Well, he, he uses very useful adjectives there. He's absolutely right about that situation. Because I do think that when you first consider it, you think, how can that possibly work? But then when you, A, consider how the structure of those worlds and what they basically are at a fundamental level, and then B, read the script that Rodney wrote, mm-hmm. you go, oh, I get exactly how this is going to work, and it's going to be fun. And I'm really, and, and really, it's that thing whereby... I can't, I can't talk about it too much because it's, it's all very new and I haven't really started on it, to be honest, yet. But, um, this is what your summer's going to be, I guess. Kind of, yeah. yeah. But it's the, it, for me, I, I think it's a, it's a very boldly original idea to create a world whereby these two worlds collide because they do fit together very neatly in a, in a structure which really works in a way you want it to work. Mm. Uh, and the challenge, therefore, is a tonal one of making the... To- they're quite different tonally, but and they have a fundamental similarity at a very basic level, which is good. And so the film that you want to see, and I can't get into talk about it too much, but it's <laughs> going to be the film it's going to be, which is great, and I find that exciting. I do think people like the idea of something new. And I think that the very fact that people talk about it is encouraging mm. because I think people will be ex- in- interested to see what it is. And so therefore I don't want to give it away. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, no, look, I, I, I don't like many things in the world and so I don't do many things for my job. So something, something that like, comes across my path and it's really good you think and I know what, what this could be and the potential in this idea you really yeah. you just have to go with your instinct it is a strange one for people to be up in arms about really when you think consider the sanctity of the 21 well, Jump Street franchise they don't know what it is you know what I mean precisely exactly. they don't know what it is if they knew what it was and had it up in arms but that, that'd be totally fair enough but no one knows what it is yet so I, I don't know it's not I, I'm just pleased people talk about it it's always yeah. it's interesting it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to talk about it's, it's a very even though I can't talk about it <laughs> you, know, but you, you did a very good job of talking about it while not talking about it thank you thank I, you I very much uh, yeah is a, <laughs> part of my job skills <laughs> <laughs> are you going to get used to that for the next couple of years mm. of not being able not to answer questions about, about that film exactly Exactly. Um, if you uh, are you a, more of an MIB fan or more of a Jump Street fan? Well, I love. I mean, 
it's, that again, it's that thing whereby this film has to serve both those masters, and that's fine because I think that you can do that very easily, mm. and they've done it very cleverly already, and they're on a good, they're on a really good starting point. And so for me, it's just how you work that together as a as a pair. But again, it's not hard to answer. So <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's okay. Um, but looking back, uh, certainly at your at your film career, I mean, this film to a lesser extent, but if you look back at the Muppets, mm-hmm. I mean, that was uh, something that was. Effectively, I think for most people, done and dusted. The Muppets had 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 played their part, and they were no longer uh, uh, relevant in in, right. in pop culture. And you you, you revived them. Mm-hmm. I mean, thank you. What just me? But, but yeah, <laughs> well, of course, yeah, yeah. But but what, what was the what was the key to doing that? What was the key to doing that with the Muppets? For you? Well, it, it was partly because of that very reason I did it because my daughter didn't really know who Muppets were, and she was like six, and thought it was a very tragedy in the world that she didn't know the Muppets were mm. and I remember showing the Muppet show and her being quite confused by it and then when I made the film and it was out and it was finished and I showed her the film she then went back to the Muppet show and watched it all of them they were available on DVD so it's kind of like a key to the Muppet show which I thought was a very nice thing to have done in your life um, but no for me it was really because I really felt that there was still a place for that sort of comedy in the world and their sort of brand of sort of emotional resonance and for me and for everybody else I think there's a certain innocence in them I really like and in a world which has kind of lost a lot of its innocence, it's nice to have some of that ma- maintained. And I do mm. feel, to a large degree, those films were, in, in a subtext way, really about the, the idea of maintaining childhood for as long as possible. And I have, mm. I have kids myself, so as a parent, that's, you always want to do that, because you want your kids to be children as long as they can be. Uh, and I think Muppets is kind of an element of that to it, and I thought that was very important to try and talk about. But really, fundamentally, it was the idea that I really remember loving them as a kid. And whilst you can't always tell your children what to like, because it's a terrible idea, because you tell them you like it, they'll hate it because it's you. <laughs> but there's a feeling about the things that they do and the, feel, the way they behave together and how they interact and the comedy they have, which feels timeless to me. And I thought that it would be a, a great thing to be able to introduce them to a generation which includes my daughter. And that kind of worked out really well. Yeah. But weirdly, it also played incredibly well, obviously, to people of my age who remember from the 70s. So yeah. it's an interesting one. But um, yeah, no, I, 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 I do love the Muppets and they still are very important to me. So I wish them every success they may do. They're really fantastic. Uh, glad you go in a second. But uh, I've got asked by Johnny Depp, um, yes. working with him in this one. Did you have to have a, a kind of refresher course with him? Like, I am not Tim Burton. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you knew that straight away. <laughs> yeah. Did he, did he get a, no, was, no, he, was he okay you know, with it? Johnny <laughs> and Tim make films independently all the time. So, you know, <laughs> Johnny, I think it was, a, I, I, you just don't, you just approach it the way you approach everybody. I'm, I, I, I really like to engage with the actors and discuss because mm-hmm. they know their character and I'm interested in ideas and I don't think I'm a particularly dictatorial director. Uh, and so I feel like I'm quite collaborative like that. So we just talk about the character and where he was in his film and where we left him in the last one and mm. how he picked it up and how he's different. And we talked about things like what you know, what is madness to a mad person, and what is that? And that's like you know, it's almost like is it sanity? Is that an idea? Where you know, he's like wearing a suit, and he has his hair very smart, and and in, and and I think psychologically to me, that's because when you meet his father later on, yeah, you realise his father is this quite stiff Victorian dad. Yes. He looks a bit like that, and so maybe that's his refuge as being hoping to be like his father in some way. Yeah. And I thought that's interesting because it, it very much mirrors the relationship between Alice and her mother. They also have quite a fractious relationship in the above-ground Victorian stuff, and so I thought it was a good parallel to work on. And so, yeah, we talked about that a lot. And um, no, he's fantastic, obviously. He listens, he has great ideas, and he gives you innumerable options. He, he works really hard, and, and he's just fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, James Bobin, pleasure as always. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> James Bobin there. Lovely chap. Lovely chap. Nice shoes mm-hmm. as well. And he doesn't have a Grand Holiday musical, which is weird. Okay, so let's talk about movie news. Mm. 
what is happening. Should we should we get the the, the sort of now standard what brand? Hollywood news dump on uh, Friday after the podcast goes out because yeah. there's a lot of stuff to talk about. I really am going to send an angry tweet to Kevin <laughs> Feige because this is this is beginning to happen. I'm now beginning to think that Marvel are trolling the Empire podcast because last Friday after the podcast went live, they announced the complete cast, well not the complete cast, the, the complete principal cast yeah. for Thor Ragnarok, which is the third and possibly final Thor film uh, starts filming very very soon in Australia and uh, it's a cracking cast it's a cracking cast pretty mm. cracking so we knew Chris Hemsworth Idris Elba Tom Hiddleston Mark Ruffalo Anthony Hopkins were in it we had rumours of Kate Blanchett for, for a long long time yep. but uh, that was all 100% confirmed last Friday along with some incredible additions to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Tessa Thompson again Long rumoured will play Valkyrie, uh, who is an Asgardian warrior, and I'm guessing maybe a possible love interest for Thor. Uh, no mention there. We know that Jane Foster's not coming back. We know Natalie Portman's not coming back. Yeah. As confirmed up by Kevin Feige on our Civil War Spoiler podcast. And there's no mention of uh, Lady Sif returning either. No. No mention of Jamie Alexander coming back in that role. Uh, and who else is in the cast, Phil? We've got Big Carl Urban. Big <laughs> The big Kiwi. The big, the, the big, big man. The big Carl Urban. The urban, urban. Kerbin. Urban regeneration. Yes. Um, he's on board um, playing Scourge. I presume it's pronounced Scourge, but it's not spelled Scourge. Scourge. <laughs> oh, is it not pronounced Scourge? <laughs> oh, my host Scourge. There's no, I've checked it. I've, Imagine if he was just it for accents. And Belgian space warrior. Imagine if he was like Bronson Pinchot from Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> Ugh. I'm, I'm Scourge. That would be amazing. <laughs> I cannot amazing. do it. Yeah, he's going to be there um, uh, <laughs> showing Thor around his, his art gallery. Um, <laughs> no, he's a bad for... guy. He's a bad guy. I don't or know. Or is he? Or no, apparently or is he is. With a name like uh, that. I've got a sneaky suspicion that he will come round. You think so? Yeah. He's been. He's been. The, the things he's been saying is like, you know, it's like, oh, who are you? Well, you know, I'm. I'm Hela's right hand man. So Hela is the, you know, the lady of, you know, yeah. she's the Cape Blanchett. She's the big villain of the piece. Okay. And uh, so Scourge would be her right hand man. But I've got a sneaking suspicion that he may end up as not right hand man. That he may mm. say, you know, hey, Hela, what are you doing? Come on, man. It's Just quite, like that. Yeah. It's quite a literal name, isn't it, Scourge? Yeah. Well, so is Hela. <laughs> yeah. Hela and Scourge and Palav. Meet our yeah. third warrior. Hello, <laughs> chaos. <laughs> and here's Toddy. Where, where have you been? I mean, sorry guys, I was only here for the first film, but uh, I, was watching, I was watching Predestination, in Primer, and Time Crimes. Incredible. Who else well, is there? well, yeah. I mean, if if it's the big Carl Urban, what's the word? We have the gargantuan Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I don't know. Gargantuan Goldblum. Can, uh, I, can I just say I, I, I tweeted this last week when this news broke that. Jeff Goldblum in a Marvel movie is just you know I, I take it back Marvel's not trolling me anymore they're making films specifically for me this Stuff is of dreams Chris I, I, I adore Jeff Goldblum I, I, I think the man is, is a legend a walking god and uh, you know he can be exploring the vertical with uh, with his character Grandmaster who's an eccentric yeah. uh, ancient oh, it's so being exciting. It's, it's all very very exciting it's a, it's a great great yeah. cast I mean lots of hand gesticulationing and mm. yeah oh yeah it's going to so be amazing you can't see it but we're doing amazing Jeff Goldblum hand gesticulations we are we all look like Scarlet Witch right mm. now like nothing yeah mm. <laughs> I look like I'm needing a pizza dough <laughs> You did just say, did you not, that you think Marvel are making films specifically for you right yes. now? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And 
a few million other people. But yeah, it does yeah. it does feel like oh. Jeff Goldblum in a Marvel movie and is, is is it couldn't be any more my sweet spot. If he turned up in a Liverpool shirt, that would be pretty much yeah it for me. Oh god, I mean, and maybe listening to some REM. The fact is though. There's going to be so many more that I think we might get to the point where maybe not the Dardens themselves, but their cousins. <laughs> the Dardenne cousins. The Dardenne it cousins. could happen. That'd be it amazing. could happen. Yes. So they will make a Marvel film for you at some point, Phil. No, I mean, it's just not yet. I look. I really. Their casting is just on point all yeah. the time. They get such good actors, and there's always something to enjoy, like in every single one of their movies. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I think. I think that's a great car. Who doesn't want to see Jeff Goldblum? And I the always big, want to see Jeff big, Goldblum. Big collar, but in action. The big collar. The scourge. I do feel that this is a there's a, a, a sort of new cinematic arms race going on at the moment. Yeah. With you know this this universe and the Star Wars universe and the DC universe of trying to s- snap up the actors quickly. Yeah. And the X Men universe, I guess, as well as something. You know, so that you know people generally, by and large, although Oscar Isaac's and Star Wars and X Men won't really be you couldn't be in the DC universe no a major star anyway there, there have been some people who do crossover yeah yeah I was just yeah thinking you know DC are slightly behind it seems in regards of you know where people are going but they do seem to be taking all the ex-Marvelites mm. who gets Meryl Streep it's the race for Streep that's the question isn't it Oh, that is the question. I find you find yourself asking people when you interview them, like you know, have you had conversations about these sorts of movies, Marvel or DC, and would you be interested? Quite yeah. a lot. Yeah. And and nobody's quick to dismiss it. Put it that way. Yeah. No, I, I think I think it's, it's that, man. well. To be honest, the way things the way things are going, <laughs> twenty years time, there's going to be it's going to be some sort of post-apocalyptic society where the one actor in the world who has been cast in a Marvel, DC, Star Wars or, or X-Men yeah. movie is running through the, the, the ruined streets of a major city being pursued by <laughs> by casting sentinels trying to track him down going, nah, DC and Marvel giant robots Kevin Feige yes. in the head of a giant robot fighting Jeff Johns and his and then in comes Kathy Kennedy with her giant sort of yes. kaiju type thing and you know I think what I'm saying is ultimately although I enjoy these movies it could lead to the destruction of the known world as yeah, we, as we know it. It's going to be Meryl Streep's fault. Thor 27 by the Dardenne Cousins. <laughs> so yeah. entirely in Antwerp. Yeah, I'm on board. It's just a lot of... <laughs> film did that one in Greenwich tourism genuinely love to see that mm. film right let's stop talking about uh, Marvel Sorry. stuff can I um, talk about something that's else unrelated to that yeah um, you there's going to be a Fruit Ninja movie uh, oh. why, don't, why no, that one? listen don't you know don't don't yeah. don't lose the will to live as I continue talking about the story no, because there's a way to go yet so hold tight <laughs> I think I think they'll be buoyed by the fact that against the odds uh, Angry Birds has made a stack ton of uh, of cash so the app based movie economy has got some credit at the moment and there's a plan to make Fruit Ninja Fruit Ninja to me feels like an app that people were playing three years ago it cost me a relationship around that time as I remember but I don't know if I've seen anyone playing it since then no it was very much it was about it was about three years ago wasn't it at least I think we were playing it for about five minutes you could say that about Angry Birds although I think Angry Birds no I think that's powers on a bit yeah definitely so this is a film that, that I'm assuming is not live action. Don't know an awful lot about it at this time other oh, than people that it are it is live action. putting it together. <laughs> Just a bloke lobbing fruit. I'm picturing, oh no, so everybody wants some. Yeah. Tyler, I can never pronounce his surname, Hodgelin. Smith, yeah. Tyler Smith. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Need to see him continue He could be the guy you half. cast. <laughs> Just chopping Can, anything in half. Yeah. Oh, I would watch him chop anything in half. Do you see the action on that? Yes. It's brilliant. Amazing. Yeah. Very skilled. Yes, him in the mix, please. So we, we're looking for like casting announcements in the trade press for people with sword skills and no fruit <laughs> allergies. Yes. And they might be looking to do it live action that Ish. way. 
Or is it about the man from mm. Del Monte growing the fruit? Is there a supply chain <laughs> Is it angle? an origin story of the man from Del Monte? Is it an origin story about the fruit? I don't yeah, know. I, yeah. I, think I, I actually cartoon. don't think that Angry Birds has, made, has, has been as a big a success as you're spinning. Uh, I it, think, it's, I think no, it's, done, it's done okay. It's done okay. Okay yeah. for an animated movie and it hasn't uh, set the world alight by any stretch of the imagination. And I do wonder that some of these movies are coming along a little bit after... The, the app or the game has had its moment in the sun. I mean, Angry Birds is always popular, but it's not as popular as it once was. And, no, no. Uh, Fruit Ninja. Mm. Basically, I'm basing this on when I stopped playing the game. Yeah. <laughs> and I stopped playing Fruit Ninja a few years ago, and I stopped playing Angry Birds a few years ago. And uh, at the moment, I'm playing Two Dots. I don't, see the, I don't think there's you a Two Dots movie. movie. No. I'm looking at my phone and looking at some of the apps that you bust times. Um, it's bejeweled, bus man. Times <laughs> movie. <laughs> okay. What about think- Runkeeper? I've got, there's two people running. What are they running from? Tinder. Tinder. <laughs> Tinder. No, but Tinder, they'll make a film out of Tinder. It'll be like the social network and it'll be like... Escape the flames. Oh, no idea. Move Clock. Bubble. Oh, that's it, that's it. There's, there's a film called, there's a game called Stack that I'm playing at the moment where you basically, you have you have to build a tower and the, the pieces of the tower move back and forth and it's a game about timing. That okay. would be a terrible film. Like, <laughs> Deliveroo. Like, um, Delivery. A heroic delivery uh, <laughs> guy has to deliver a, a burger to me yeah. on time, or he will face my wrath. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically it. That's the stakes. That's it. You'll be mildly cross. What okay. else have we got on here? Uh, let me see. I feel like you can tell by what people on the tube are playing next to you. Candy Crush and Bejeweled <laughs> are the ones that everyone seems to be playing. Yeah. Um, but obviously you've got Tetris coming, which has been around forever. Oh. No, 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 no! It's no. happening. You can't stop it. Can't stop the blocks, Chris. Find I iPhone. Yeah, looks interesting. It's now got like a radar. Be... It's got radar. <laughs> that could be a very gripping mm. mystery. It could be. Tom Cruise is Jeff iPhone, who uh, portrays <laughs> the FBI. Uh, and goes in a run like Edward Snowden he goes in a run with like a flash drive of of cool stuff and the FBI have to find iPhone <coughs> what did you say his name was Jeff iPhone Jeff iPhone or could it not just be Liam Neeson <laughs> hunting down his iPhone where's my iPhone there we go sold who's there he calling he realises he's not actually speaking to him because he doesn't have his phone <laughs> <laughs> and that's what starts the movie what the, he's got to get no the phone can then he finds his daughter no one can see your hand gestures on a podcast Phil he's talking into a finger phone there we go yeah I don't know who you are where's my phone oh weird I forgot that, Brian you haven't got a phone back oh sofa. shit <laughs> I will find you phone <laughs> and I will charge you just Liam Neeson logging on to the Apple website so you can find us oh I would, oh there it is right <laughs> all good thank you very much I've got an idea hey Siri what do you think of Siri the movie I'm sorry Chris I'm afraid I can't answer that what use are you uh, honestly it's always I can't answer that it's in turn uh, around Chris already yeah rubbish anyway what's next Exciting news for fans of Western exploitation films. Uh-huh. Is that that's not the term, is it? No. Westploitation. No. What, there's anyway. Franco Nero obviously played Django. DJ. No, he didn't. It was Jamie Fox. DJ N. Or Tamara Morrison. The D is silent. Okay. Yeah. He pops up in in uh, Django Unchained, obviously, he does. because there's a nod from Tarantino back to the original Django movie. A subtle nod. Very subtle. Wink, wink. Nice scene actually. It wasn't too crowbarred. Um the third Django movie, weirdly after a very, very long gap, has just been announced with John Sayles, the great and very interesting filmmaker John Sayles behind the camera, um, who's no stranger to Westerns, having made Lone Star. Um, and he's going to be taking this one taking this one on. And uh, I think it's quite a 
kind of an interesting idea to see what I'll do. It feels very out of time to make this movie. If you've seen the original Django films, they're a sort of a mm. quite a bloody exploitation style Western treatment of a guy that's looking for revenge and yeah. kills everyone in his path. Westerns do seem to have had a bit of a revival in the last few years. And uh, this is definitely the more sort of gonzo end of the spectrum when it comes to Westerns. Um, John Sayles' Lone Star is a bit more conventional. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes forward with this one. That is a big gap. It is a big gap, yeah. But that's kind of, that's kind of fun. John Sayles doesn't make a lot of films, though. So I don't know. Who who's to say? But Django Lives is what it's going to be called. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know it's been bubbling around for a little while. Franco Nero is returning to play the role that he last played a very long time ago. I think first first film was nineteen sixty six. So Bloody I guess hell. he'll be getting his revenge more slowly. <laughs> yes. uh, that's awesome. No, I'm excited about this. I think it's going to be really really cool. Do you like um, the originals? Uh, I no not hugely. No. But I like John Sayles. He's good, isn't he? Yeah. So yeah. John Sales, Django. Very, keep an eye on that one. There's more exciting. to come. Uh, I believe it's going to be released on December 26th. Is that right? It's uh, as part of the Boxing Day sales. Yes, Chris. Yeah. Absolutely solid joke. It's really good. You should make two films a year, really, so you can get the summer summer sales in two. Everything I'm always interested in the next sales. Everything must Django. Yeah. Talking about Everything next. must Django. That's your tagline. <laughs> I like it. Beauty and the Beast. Yes, Beauty and the Beast. Very, 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 very short. It was a minute and a half, which in shock news I watched because Mm -hmm. I knew we'd be talking about it. Yeah, that's, you know, hitting all the beats, I guess, that everybody knows from the original film. The music, you know, made me go a little bit tingly and I think it's very wisely for now. Obviously, the film's not out until next year, but wisely sort of choosing the lines that everyone knows and Ewan McGregor's self-professed Mexican-French accent (laughs) As he said on podcast recently, but no, it's you know you don't see much. It's cute. What what can you say? Shows you a bit of candle, doesn't it? But yeah, and a bit of Watson. <laughs> yeah, bit of candle, bit of Watson. You seem to get a slightly mixed mixed response in the office. I thought some people seem to be Did very it? keen, and other people were a bit yeah about oh, it. But. I th- I think it's the right thing to do. I mean, yeah. it's better than the the Cinderella one, which was just the shoe. Yeah, teaser. But, um, I, very a lot of people watched that trailer. Ninety-one million people apparently on YouTube shoe, watched the, it. The, the, the rose. The, Ninety-one no, million rose. people. Rose. Ninety-one million people. It's going to be huge. This film. People love. Emeralds. Seems that way. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's going to be really big, and I think I'm we, so excited. And also, it sort of it sort of connects to another story this week of a, a live-action Disney Little Mermaid film. Yeah, still um, being a little plug here about. for Eighties Month, which powers on for only another few days yeah. i think when the month ends it finishes is that how it works daryl hannah we spoke to for uh recently for this she's a hero of the 80s yes. the interview will be live but also she talked to boss about the secrets of splash <laughs> she'd wanted yeah. to make the little mermaid before splash yeah and it kind of went away and then splash happened and chloe grace moretz is attached to do it now uh-huh. um with a studio picture and now disney are coming in with a a rival a Little Mermaid live-action movie. Yeah. So uh, we shall see Aww. what happens. Yes. A Daryl interview is, is really cool. I love the bit about her getting a pilot fish from her tail. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah, she said that she was in the water so much that the fish started to assume that she was another fish <laughs> and she would get pilot fish, like sharks do, just following her around. Yeah. Pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I like that. Awesome stuff. And I can't let this week go without mentioning the John Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, remake of Halloween which is going to be which was announced this week over at Bloomhouse uh, Productions Jason Bloom who is of course the producer of Insidious those films and also uh, the Purge movies uh, and he has a really 
really he's been on the podcast hasn't yeah. He? yeah he's been on the, on the podcast he's got a really interesting approach to budget doesn't like to go too over budget likes to keep things very very low budget so that you know the movies can actually make money and they can also enforce creativity I guess if, if you don't have a lot of money so he has got John Carpenter back to uh, executive well to produce a remake of Halloween which will be out next year and apparently they're going to hopefully go back to basics the last remake of Halloween Rob Zombie's awful awful movies Halloween and Halloween 2 I just oh awful can hopefully be forgotten about consigned to the dustbin of history where they belong uh, sharp those are fighting words yeah I'm a huge fan of, of John Carpenter and Halloween and I did not like what Rob Zombie did with those films but uh, it's it's going to be intriguing to see what happens here there's been talk of a, a, a director who's got some chops Carpenter won't direct it some horror chops so people are saying Adam Wingard might be a contender but uh, oh, yeah. the word in the grapevine is that uh, Mike Flanagan who directed Oculus will be okay. will be the director of this one and Hush which Hush. is on Netflix as well so uh, so that's cool I'm intrigued I'm very intrigued as well and of course John Carpenter's world tour has just started uh, he's playing here in London on Halloween night it's going to be so You're awesome. going, aren't you? It's going to be awesome. <laughs> uh, extraordinary stuff. And we should mention as well that it is New Empire Day. Hooray! Woo! Woo! New Empire Month, actually. The em- new issue of Empire is out for the whole of the month and you can go and get it and it is another cracking issue with tons of great stuff inside it. On the cover this month is Independence Day Resurgence. Uh, is Jeff Goldblum resurgence at the moment because yes. not only is he signing up for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one of my favourite actors of all time is on the cover of Empire I believe he's been on the cover of Empire before for the Lost World Jurassic Park but here he is again surrounded by well being grasped by an alien uh, one of those nasty aliens from Independence Day and we were on set of Independence Day and we talked to everybody involved with Independence Day Resurgence and there's a great great feature in there as well so pick it up if you love aliens blowing up landmarks and you love Jeff Goldblum uh, we also have the 50 greatest sci-fi moments which is a, a list that has been decided and curated and, and, and mulled over and argued over by the Empire team and in fact we are planning to have a very special podcast in which the Empire podcast team ruminate over our list and uh, yell at each other and poke each other in the eyes with sticks and that sort of thing <laughs> or shoot each other with swords that's that's yeah. mm-hmm. these days so look out for that later in the month we have a, a big interview with Nicholas Winding Revan whose new movie The Neon Demon split people down the middle at Cannes by the way congratulations to Ken Loach for winning the Palme d'Or for I, Daniel Blake of which you can read a set visit in this very issue which is great difficult for us to discuss the movie or indeed can because none of us were there but yeah congratulations nonetheless to Ken Loach from that one we also have a world exclusive interview with Steven Spielberg about the BFG we were on set of The Legend of Tarzan Ethan Hawke star of Predestination is this month's Empire interview that's a really really great one Purple Rain we have a, a retrospective piece about that of course following Prince's death Kelsey Grammer is this month's pint of milk that's a lot of fun we have exclusive images from Assassin's Creed from Magnificent Seven Paddy Considine tackles our best of times worst of times we have an exclusive interview with David Lowry director of Pete's Dragon we have all sorts of great and wonderful stuff in there it is an absolutely cracking issue and you know what mm-hmm. it's just £4.50 in all good and evil news agents so highly to your nearest Smith's or Smith's-esque Emporium. (laughs) Okay, time now for our second guest. She's an up-and-coming actress with just the two Oscar wins under her belt and a string of incredible credits and the odd iconic role. And of course, she directs too, but not that often. It's been a few years since Jodie Foster for It Is She last stepped behind a camera and she's doing it again with this week's Money Monster which stars George Clooney, Julia Roberts and Jack O'Connell. Helen O'Hara went along to speak to her when she was in London this week and it is a very good interview. Enjoy. 
Right, so the, this film is uh, very much a character piece. It's driven by these uh, characters caught in this extreme situation in the middle. You've got mm. Jack O'Connell. I don't think mm. it's a spoiler to say he comes in with a gun and a bomb vest and he is very, very angry. But at the same time, he's not a villain. Yeah, what a difficult character for a young up-and-coming actor to play. Um, he had to be threatening and dangerous and um, filled with rage. And yet, by the end of the movie, you really want to throw your arms around him. And you understand him and you see, you know, you see his point. Even though he doesn't make his point eloquently and even though he doesn't have great verbal skills or you know, a great education or power or money, uh, he has the truth on his side. Mm-hmm. And so he is the wisest man in the room. Yeah, he, 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 I mean, he's done great work in, in similar kind of roles, I guess, to some extent in, in the UK startup in particular which is his big breakthrough here was absolutely phenomenal yeah. had you seen many of those before you auditioned him uh, once I once I was you know thinking about him I went and saw, saw all of his movies of course I saw startup and I saw 71 and I saw skins and um, I hadn't seen unbroken yet because it hadn't mm-hmm. come out yet but um, at first I was convinced I mean he just can't be right he's British and he's young <laughs> and I wanted a, an actor who was at least 35 or 40 years old so uh, then he auditioned, and you know there was never a question in my mind. I just right. went forward with him. He just was—he's—he's a—it's a real transformation for him. I'm really, really proud and in awe of his performance in this yeah. film. And, and tell me about this guy opposite him, uh, George Clooney. Yeah, George Clooney. Um, I just this is a you know the the role he was meant to play. Um, we spent a lot of time getting the script right. Uh, it took us a couple of years to really create a fully fleshed out character for him and um we didn't take any money and we didn't attach anyone uh waiting uh to to really get the script right and then when we did get the script right we went to him he said yes and immediately everything followed from there absolutely you you also have quite a a few supporting um characters in this from the wire or breaking bad you've got you know dominic west chris bauer giancarlo esposito katrina Um, ball from outlander who's from wonderful so i mean are you have you have you had you seen them on tv or already or did they just they were people you're aware of because i mean some of those guys i mean esposito especially like he's just one of the great supporting actors yeah yeah well you know all these actors you know uh, Breaking Bad Giancarlo Esposito in Breaking Bad so phenomenal it couldn't be more different than the character that he plays in our film true Um, yeah I know all these actors what's nice nowadays is that actors go back and forth between lots of different mediums so they're doing cable and they're doing TV and they're doing features so um, you know good work is good work absolutely What, what kind of stuff do you watch yourself in your time off you know, strangely, I don't watch a lot of TV. I really don't. I wish I had more time, mm. and then I would feel like I knew what was going on. But uh, I don't have a lot of time, and people tell me I should DVR certain things, and then I forget to, and then, <laughs> then I don't turn on the TV for months, and then I turn it on, and it doesn't work. So um, I don't watch a lot of TV. I mean, of course, I love Breaking Bad more than any show that's ever been on American television, um, and Sopranos as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love True Detective, yeah. you know, those... those those are my my faves. Absolutely, oh, great great shows. So so, what do you look for when you're when you're looking for a script to direct? What, what's the what's the key for you? Um, well, I usually develop it a lot, so I work on it a lot. Um, I'm I'm looking for I I, I like very verbal movies. Um, I like films that are at once emotional and intellectual. I I I just can't do movies that are one or the other. Right. Um, I like movies that are dramas and comedies. Um, I like a combination of those tones. Um, and I seem to be drawn to movies about people in spiritual crisis mm-hmm. who are trying to figure out how to be well-adjusted people, you know, and who are going through some dramatic spiritual moment in their life and that change. Mm-hmm. 
And there is that change here, I think, is it? without getting into too much into it, because spoilers, but... Yeah, yeah. well, I think, you know, Lee Gates' character, uh, played by George Clooney, is really the one who changes in yeah. the film. Nobody else needs to change but him. <laughs> uh, he goes from being an egotist um, who doesn't care about anyone, who's completely self-involved. You know, he's a celebrity, mm-hmm. and he's a showman, and he drinks too many martinis at lunch. And he's completely lost his way as a journalist. Um, he's no longer responsible. Um he has this dramatic thing that happened to him. He's taken hostage and he shows himself to be a coward. He, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he just doesn't show himself in a flattering light at all. (laughs) Um, But through the course of this time with this young man, he, he starts understanding that they share a sense of failure. Yeah. And um, he takes responsibility for what he's done and his culpability in terms of his, um, his, his collusion with the financial world and the, the mess that the financial world is in. And um, he kind of becomes a human being by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he becomes the hero he was meant to be. Absolutely. And I mean, the, uh, Julia Roberts is also terrific in the movie as his sort of, his producer, his right-hand woman. But were you ever tempted to put yourself in? Does Jodie Foster, the director, not really like Jodie Foster, the actress? Uh, I, I'm okay with myself acting, but if I could have <laughs> Julia Roberts be in the movie, then I'd much prefer her. I mean, she does have a kind of shorthand with George that is unbelievable. You know, this just this little magic brother-sister relationship that I'm just so appreciative of. You know, they brought so much to the movie, and none of that has anything to do with me. Um, the, the fact that they're only on screen, they're only on screen together for one minute in the beginning of the movie and one minute at the end, and everything else that they go through in the film, they go through virtually. Um, so she's in his ear and his earpiece, and he looks through the barrel of a camera to, to you know towards her monitor. And somehow that virtual connection that they have is stronger than if they were in the same room. It's mm. just amazing to me. I guess that that shared history helps that. There is the they have a code word between them, which yes. I can't pronounce. I've forgotten what it was. It's Sacagawea. Sacagawea. Who is a Sacagawea is a very uh, important uh, Indian uh, character, a Native American character that we hear about when we're 10 years old and we're learning history in United States history. Um, nobody really remembers what she did, but she did something good with uh, <laughs> the, you know, the people who founded the Americas. And um, that's their code word. So anytime he hears Sacagawea, he knows he's supposed to shut up and move on to the next topic. <laughs> and of course, he hears Sacagawea and he never listens. Yeah, he heard it quite a lot and he didn't listen <laughs> most of the time. So that was, yeah, it was an interesting, interesting one. But I like that even not getting it as I didn't, you yeah. still got the sense of it, I think, which was which was cool. Um, so just to talk about some other stuff that, you, that you've done in your amazing career I mean it's, it was the 25th anniversary recently of Silence of the Lambs yeah which I mean we actually did a piece recently in an empire on how Clarice is the real cultural hero of the piece huh. um, because I think Lecter got a lot of the attention right. well he's not the hero of the movie he's of very much not no 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 I mean um, yeah it's a such an interesting a duo those two mm. you know Clarice and Hannibal um, they share this respect for each other a real human respect for each other it's why he will never hurt her Mm -hmm. it's why he tells her the truth because she because they enter into a human pact um, and that's all he's wanted is human touch uh, albeit a odd horrible cannibalistic (laughs) human touch but that's what he's searching for is connection and even though it's a evil connection he wants connection with human beings um yeah it's a beautiful relationship also speaking of sort of uh, 
not quite. Well, maybe, is it an anniversary? That the, there was a taxi driver reunion recently at Tribeca. Yes. What was that like after all this time? Yeah, forty-year taxi wow. driver reunion that we had at the Tribeca Film Festival. Actually, it was at the Beacon Theater. Um, the Tribeca put on, and it was you know Martin Scorsese, Harvey Keitel, Robert De Niro, Paul Schrader, Sybil Shepherd, uh, Michael Phillips, the producer. All of us together, um, just. I guess reminiscing a little bit and and uh, giggling and um, all acting the same way we did 40 years ago. Um, <laughs> I was 12 when I made the movie, so all these crazy grown-ups uh, were now even more grown-up and still acting like teenagers. Right. And you were presumably acting more like an adult at 12 than they were now. <laughs> well, I had made more movies than Scorsese and Robert De Niro, so wow. I, I had uh, had more I had more experience than they did actually making movies, yeah. interestingly. That is that that's a a, a strange position mm. to be in I'm guessing as a as a kid I was used to it I'd made a you know I made a lot of films so I was used to working with with other filmmakers um yeah, yeah they were nervous about working with me um uh, working with a child and you know sensitive material and their sexuality in the movie and stuff and they didn't quite know how to handle me and um I think I made it easy for them I don't yeah. know I was pretty matter of fact <laughs> yeah you, you always seemed very like calm competent yeah. uh, everything I've seen from behind the scenes um but there was a clip from a French TV show in the late 1970s, yes. uh, which has been doing the rounds recently. Is that right? Uh, and there's a Star Wars disco performance. Really? With C-3PO's dancing, multiple C-3PO's. Really? And at the end, it cuts to you because you were a guest watching the show. And I was just wondering, do you have any memory of that? I have absolutely no memory of that whatsoever. It was a French TV show? Apparently a French TV show, yeah. I did a lot of those. I live in France and I uh-huh. speak French, so I've done a lot of... French TV shows. Wow, dancing through C-3PO's. Man, I want to see that. It's going <laughs> I, on YouTube, I guess. I think it's going on YouTube at the moment, yeah. Um, I mean, have you ever been asked to do any of those kind of big movies, you know, the Star Wars and the Marvel movies and the DC yeah. movies that are coming back? Yeah, around? I was considered for Star Wars, really? and uh, I was signed on for it, but I couldn't get out of my contract at Disney. I was contracted to do uh, Freaky Friday and Candleshoe, and um, and I had just signed the deal, so uh, yeah. we decided to stick with that. Um, yeah. And then they rethought uh, Princess Leia and everybody, and they, they made the character slightly older because mm-hmm. um, they they couldn't find a younger actor. Originally, they were they were going to go very young. Wow! Just think, nowadays it wouldn't have been a problem. Disney got Disney of Lucasfilm, you know. You yeah, just that's true. They're all together the at last. <laughs> Um, and uh, speaking a, a little bit of, of child actors, I mean, obviously you worked with Kristen Stewart when she was yeah. um, you ten. Know, ten. Yeah. And, and now, you know, she was at Cannes this, this year as well, just getting crazily great reviews yeah. for her recent work. So I'm has, so proud of her. What a great actress and just a lovely, lovely girl, human being. Yeah. Um, it's so fun to watch somebody, you know, that you knew when she was 10 and then see her grow up and, and how the business has shaped her. You know, um, in good ways and in, in ways where you just want to put your arms around her. You know, yeah. Um, but she's a great lady, and I'm just so proud of her. Absolutely, it's been a, it's been a heck of a can this year. I think um, not yeah. just with her, but generally speaking. Yeah, it does. I can't. I I wasn't able to see a single movie while I was there. It was infuriating, and I'm dying to see. Uh, I'm dying to see some of the films that come out of there. Absolutely. Um, right, we have to wrap up now. So I just want to say, Judy Foster, thank you very much. Money Monster is out this week. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Stop with Jodie Foster and let's start with Money Monster. What do we make of this one? Dog Day Afternoon meets Network meets Insight Man. Yeah. Well, it has an incredible. Those are good. Those are clear sort of reference points for this movie. Um, the setup is Jack O'Connell. Uh, George Clooney plays this kind of, I guess, the finance equivalent of a shock jock TV presenter who comes in and gives big punts. He comes with all the razzmatazz. He's got like his dance moves. It's fun to watch Clooney just sort of cutting loose, making himself look like a bit of an idiot at times, but in, in a fun way, brings a lot, throws himself into it completely. 
suddenly with Julia Roberts as his producer suddenly bursts into the studio this guy played by Jack O'Connell who no one really knows what he's there for if he's like some member of staff who's wandered in frame by mistake turns out he's got a suicide vest on and he's got a gun and he has an axe to grind Um, and he's got a specific axe to grind with George Clooney's character for a particular stock tip so far it's so good it's a kind of a fun energised satire of the world of you know investment and Wall Street and, and, and the way the media kind of feeds into this sort of American obsession with the stock market. And then this sort of like subplot emerges of corruption and, and Dominic West's character, the CEO of a big company, kind of becomes implicated in, in this stock deal. Without giving too much away, it, it, it takes more of a sort of traditional thriller approach in the second half. And for me, it lost a little bit of its initial kind of pep and zest and became a bit more conventional and 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 at that point it starts to fade in comparison with such great movies that chris just mentioned especially i thought dog day afternoon and to a lesser extent network because you're a bit more you're a bit more up on this weren't you i just i i I just enjoyed it i thought it was uh it was good fun it tips its hat quite obviously to dog day afternoon and network without ever coming close to their their greatness has that sort of sweaty inside man feel of mm, New York yeah, and definitely. New York characters but it's a it's a bit of a blast it's 98 minutes long it's Clooney being Clooney it's uh, Jack O'Connell's very very solid it's got yeah. nice repartee between Clooney and Julia Roberts as his director in, in the booth it's a little bit heavy handed with it's fairly obvious message that <laughs> financial people are bad mm. um, and greed is bad and you know it, 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 it's not saying anything new no. And yeah. because, it, because it's trying to tip its hat to so many different influences at once, it does get a little bit lost in, in the end. It, it's not, not sure whether it's been a media satire or a thriller or a combination of the two or maybe a black comedy as well. Yeah. But I thought it was well acted. It, it moves on an absolute lick. And, you know, I was on the fence three or four, really, you know, and yeah. in the end, you know, I, yeah, it was, a, it was a glass half full moment and I gave it four. Why not? Yeah, I'd go four as well. I'd go three, but I mean, it is, like you say, it's, it's entertaining. It's never boring. It's got a lot of good things in it. Jack yeah. O'Connell is superb. Like, how hard is that to go and share the screen with that charisma machine, George Clooney? Yeah. I think he really just yeah. really, really proves himself there. He does. He yeah. does. He does. He does. Agreed. He's good. He's good. And there's a great moment in it with his with uh, Jack O'Connell. It's not afraid to subvert some of the sort of cliches of the genre. And there's a great moment when, you know, the, the hostage drama, traditionally the partner of the person turns up and... Be- pleads with them to sort of see sense and this has a lovely kind of reversal twist on that, yeah. that whole idea yeah. um, and it's got lots of bits like that that have got real real freshness to them which I liked and, and then other bits that not so much and it's got Giancarlo Esposito so what more do you need that's true <laughs> very true yeah it's got a good cast yeah little wire reunion going on there as well yeah which is nice uh, yeah four stars for Money Monster and uh, next up we have Alice Through the Looking Glass Emma, through the looking glass. Yeah, apparently not completely immune to Johnny Depp's hijinks. Mia Vashkovska is back for another Alice film, but she's gone through the looking glass this time to find Depp's Mad Hatter dying because his family, basically, as we know, were murdered by the Jabberwocky. So he's been haunted by that, kind of blames himself. So she's gone off to try and find a solution for him. Interestingly, Depp's not actually in this film too much, which actually I think is a really wise decision because it makes way for this sort of subplot with, in like a Frozen style, I feel, with Hathaway and Helena Bonham Carter's sisters, which again revolves around time and sort of regrets, etc. But it also makes room for Sasha Baron Cohen, who plays Time. And I think... I think it's a split decision here. I think a lot of people are going to disagree with me, mm-hmm. but I really, really, really love him in this. And I think that character's destined to be one of my favourites of the year. I've seen this film get some poisonous reviews. Yeah. I just absolutely, people laying into it. It's like, 
Have you seen the first film? This is mm. the thing. I really, really, really struggled with the first film. Really badly. And I think without sounding too harsh, it is sad to say, but this film really succeeds because of having such low expectations. And I think Bobin, because as you said earlier, he's worked with Sasha before, he just knows him. And I think he's got the best out of him here. He plays this character called Time, who, yes, is Time. And he's got this Werner Herzogian crazy accent. And he's just this breath of fresh air, really, amongst it all. He told us through about, like, 19 different types of German accents, but it does settle on Herzog, which I yeah. loved. Yeah, he does. You're not quite sure where it's going at first because he, when he enters, it kind of starts a bit slapsticky. But he has got all these sort of layers which I wasn't expecting. And for me, I, I really like him in it. The film looks great. It's nothing groundbreaking. It does look really beautiful and it is worth seeing on the bigger screen possible, especially for sort of the visuals in Time's sort of whatever his... Not mansion, it's like a massive sprawling layer, I guess. And for Sasha, and of course Helena Bonham Carter, just being Helena Bonham Carter... Mm. Yeah. yeah, everyone's very solid in it. It doesn't say anything new, but it's fun and it actually makes sense. It's coherent. It's a very simple plot. Also, Johnny Depp's barely in it. Let's not to put to another project. He's absolutely bloody terrifying, that character. Yeah. I uh, mean, scare. Uh, scare I'm like, the fuck, you turn up and he's dying and you think that's probably a good uh, result for everyone. <laughs> oh, boys. <laughs> I know that's unkind, but he's so scary. I enjoyed this film, but yeah, I it did. does it does presume an awful lot of love for a terrifying and awful character. So Alice turns yeah. up in, in in Wonderland, and everyone's really sad because the Hatter is dying. The Hatter's the matter. Oh my God, he, his face is grey and his hair is grey, and he's just lying in bed feeling really sorry for himself. And you're kind of going, what is it about this character who is awful that these people love? There's just nothing, you know. I know it's a it's a child it's, 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 you know, it's fine I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's meant to be realistic but I'd be kind of putting a pillow over his face I'll be honest with you oh my god seeing him on his way <laughs> yeah, have, just, have yeah, a, just a little help tea party yeah for a wake would it be yeah. a lay him out on the table get some cakes he'd be happy with that wouldn't he that's, that's his probably thing. the way he'd want to go yeah what a way to go being teabagged um, into the next because uh, in the next generation yeah in, okay. into, into, the, into the afterlife I don't think that's I don't think that's the way you'd use the phrase teabagged no moving swiftly on also it's obviously Alan Rickman's last vocal well last performance last vocal performance that we hear from him and that's really nice that I think they treat that little that little character with a really sort of well it is a magical character but they treat it with a really lovely sort of flourish which you know brought a tear to my eye yeah, I mean, I, we, we gave this film three stars, which, as we all know, is a recommendation yeah, on the podcast. It's a strange film because I enjoyed it. When you put it next to the, the original Tim Burton movie, it is a masterpiece. <laughs> it is not a masterpiece. It is just a fun, quite slight, yeah. pretty inventive movie. And I really like the fact that Bobin, I mean, there's, there's loads of CG. Yeah. But he actually placed an emphasis on actors being in a room with each other, looking each other in the eye and delivering lines. And I I, I, I had fun with it. I watched this immediately after re-watching the first one. Ooh. The first one is so bad. I mean, it is genuinely horrifying to watch. You're just going, this is... There's no fun. There's no joy. It's just mm. nightmarish CG creations. I mean, the, the Matt Lucas Tweedledum and Tweedledee mm. just... So much better in this movie. Yeah. In the first movie, it just keeps you awake for days. It's <laughs> honestly terrifying. Yeah. Three stars. And then, last but not least, we have the reunion of Whit Stillman, Kate Beckinsale, and Chloe Sevigny years after uh, Last Days of Disco. Correct. For Love and Friendship. Yes. Based on uh, Jane Austen's Lady Susan, which was an, an unfinished novel uh, that was published after her death. And um, it's not something, not one I'd particularly knew of and I imagine that's probably familiar for a lot of people she yeah. played Kate Beckinsale I think is probably her best role she's so good in this film she plays Lady Susan who is widowed and she's described I think as the greatest flirt in Britain um, she's very very smart very 
canny, quite ruthless. And she has a young daughter. And her mission in this film is to get her daughter married into money. So to protect her future. So basically, she's a wild card. And she navigates this society with icy disdain. And she's hilarious. Alongside her is Tom Bennett, who plays Sir James, who's a sort of object of her interest in terms of the fact that he's super rich and very, very stupid. I think they call him they call him a rattler. Because presumably because you shake him and his head rattles. And he is hilarious. I hadn't come across Tom Bennett. I believe he's in Phone Shop. I think he's he's done a lot of comedy, yeah. a lot of sitcom stuff. Yeah, BBC. And he yeah. plays this role like somewhere between sort of Colin Firth, oh, yeah, Ricky Gervais, yeah. David Brent, and a bit of Tom Hulse in Amadeus. Okay. Like he's just a sort of a really gormless but really well-meaning man-child. He turns up at Churchill, which is the big country pile where where the most of the film revolves, and and he he, he gets very confused because he's seen neither church nor hill oh, on his way there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and and he doesn't know what peas are. I mean, watch the trailer if it, I would say with this film more than just about any others the trailer nails the tone of it and some of the comedy if you like the look of the trailer we've given it five stars it's one of my favourite films of the year it's hilariously funny Whit Stillman you know he's an American guy he's been making films about what he calls the urban haute bourgeoisie the kind of the wealthier end of American society and yeah. their rules um, so you might think on one level he's a strange choice for Austin but actually <laughs> it's a very similar world you know if you've seen Barcelona and Metropolitan and even Damsels in Distress yeah. set in, in Varsity Life you'll know that the, it's the same sort of rules that people have to navigate through these very sort of regimented societies Chloe Sevigny the, the last days of disco reunion is, is interesting after all this time but it's really Kate Beckinsale's film she's so good at, as this character like she's pretty she's pretty loathsome um, <laughs> a lot of the time but you can't help but sort of quite like it like it when she's around sure she's very very compelling and very very funny and the film is both those things too there we go film of the week without a shadow of yeah. a doubt is love and friendship five stars five english stars for that movie so do go and check it out and that's it for this week's empire podcast a quick reminder that we have two specials coming up first of all we have the x-men apocalypse spoiler special with brian singer and simon kimberg and uh, three idiots talking about the movie in great detail that's gonna be up on monday the 30th so after the movie comes out in the states and all you uh, lucky american people have had a chance to see it as well then we have our nice guys special so we did a live podcast q a with shane black and joel silver following a screening of the nice guys last week in london at the gates cinema uh, and that special will be going up as its very own interview because it's a big long interview and we wouldn't want to uh, hold anything back from you guys uh, so keep checking I'm not quite sure when that one's going to be up but the film is out next week so keep checking your podcast apps and all sorts of stuff and then uh, hopefully it'll be it'll pop up there before next week's regular podcast goes up so that is that is it that's pretty much all the podcast news we have to, to share join us next week for more film related fun when we'll be joined by Kelsey Grammer I know, Kelsey I'm... Kelsey Grammer? Kelsey Grammer. Yes. That's amazing. Kelsey Grammer. It's... Amazing. It's amazing. Kelsey Grammer, star of Down Periscope, <laughs> will be on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I've wanted to make it happen for years. <laughs> he was in a sitcom as well, apparently, but I don't know much about that. No. Down Periscope. It's extraordinary. <laughs> Until then, it is goodbye from Emma. Goodbye. It is goodbye from Phil. Au revoir. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to brush up on my time travel movies with a nice triple bill of time crimes, predestination and primer. Of course I'm not. I'm probably off to watch Captain America Civil War again, but <laughs> but there you go. Uh, thank you for listening. See you next week. So he's got a Groundhog Day musical. Yeah, yeah, he has at the Old Vic. Who's in it? Um, I mean, have you had a Roger Dipper?
Big Dipper? <laughs> that's what that's my boyfriend goes in. <laughs> Have I heard of him? <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>